So 1 Corinthians chapter 14 in verse 1. If you'll turn and tap your way there, and once you uh, find your spot, would you join me in standing for the reading of the scriptures today? If you don't have a Bible app or a Bible with you, we have some in the back that are always available, um, but we've also got it on the slides um, so you can read along with me. We're going to be jumping around in 1 Corinthians 14 today, but I'm going to read these first five verses to kind of set our, our, our time up today. The Apostle Paul writes, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in a tongue, more on this next week, is not speaking to people but to God, since no one understands him. He speaks mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I wish all of you spoke in tongues, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless the one who speaks in tongues interprets so that the church may be built up. Come, Jesus, Holy Spirit, minister and work within us. As we prayed, your will, your way, do whatever you want to. God, that image specifically of your rule and reign invading our hearts, that idea of, of moving from one step to one step, more and more territory, the inner territory of our hearts being the place where your kingdom reigns. That is our desire this morning. And so we pray that you would help us to be a church that is attuned to the fact that you are the God who speaks and continues to do so through your people. In your name we pray, amen. amen. We'll go ahead and take a seat. So prophecy is up on the docket for this week. Now, like I said, when we were reading it, there's a lot of talk about tongues in this passage. 1 Corinthians 14, what we're looking at, is part of this three-chapter movement in the letter that Paul deals specifically with spiritual gifts, or as we made a case last week, better translated as the stuff the Spirit does in the church. And 14 in particular is Paul going back and forth, comparing and contrasting the manifestation, the work of the Spirit called tongues. Like I said, more on that in a couple in next week, I think. Pending this, this, this whole series has just been whatever the Spirit wants to do. So pending nothing happens at the prayer night, uh, tongues will be up next week. But um, what, what Paul does throughout 14 is he keeps contrasting tongues and prophecy. And in doing so, it's, it's this incredibly helpful chapter on understanding what is prophecy, what's it up to, how does it work within the church. And so that's where we'll be kind of jumping around, like I said, the chapter today. But first, let's look back at verse 1 where Paul, coming out of chapter 13, talking about how love is patient and kind, it doesn't envy, he's talking all about this, this way of love. At the beginning of 14, he says, pursue that love I've just described in chapter 13 and earnestly desire, as it can be translated, the stuff the Spirit does. And then here, here's the kind of, the catch, the, the point, the hook for the week, especially that you may prophesy. Not healing, not evangelism, church planting, acts of mercy and justice. Prophecy is the eager one, Paul. Why, why is this the eager desire that he gives us? Later on, he goes, yeah, I wish you guys all spoke in tongues. That'd be great. But the thing I really want most is that you guys all prophesy. Why does Paul have such an emphasis on the work of prophecy in the local church? Now, to 
work through this, we're going to have to work through uh, the story that Paul understands himself entering into and being a part of. And so that means we've got to go all the way back to page one of the Bible. All the way back to page one. Where what happens is in the beginning... God made, God created the heavens and the earth. And in the beginning, everything is formless and void. It's wild and waste. And it says the spirit of God is hovering over the unformed creation. And as the spirit is hovering over the unformed creation, God does what? He, you guys are whispering it. (laughs) Speaks, yes. He he didn't whisper. He speaks. God speaks. And so he says, let there be Light, and it was so. God says, let there be uh, a separation between the waters above and the water. He calls this sky, and then he calls forth the land, and let there be all these plants, and it was so. And so chapter one of the Bible is about, from the get-go, the God who speaks new creation, impossible possibilities into order and life in the midst of where there was not life. This is the God who speaks. This is whatever else God is, page one, he's the God who speaks. And notice that when God speaks, God's hovering spirit, his presence is always nearby. So God continues to speak throughout the scriptures, throughout the story of the Bible. And one of the ways he does this is by speaking to a person who then audibly hears and relays what they've heard out to people. And that little movement is what the biblical authors called prophecy. So the the first example of this is Moses. Moses is identified as the first prophet, the first person who uh, numbers... I believe it's chapter 11, where we're going to be in a moment. He would go into the tent of meeting, and it says that he would talk to God face to face as a friend talks to a friend, audibly hearing the voice of God. And then he would come out of the tent of meeting to all of Israel, and he would relay to them what he audibly heard from God, sharing it with them. And so what he heard had all the authority as if it was God speaking. Why does God do this? Because God is so committed to partnering with humans. He wants to have representation and relationship with humans standing in the gap, relating to one another as the means through which we relate to God. He's so, so committed to the image of God in each of us that he continues to partner with us in ways that might be manipulated, more on this later, because he's just so committed to partnering with humans. So this is Moses' whole journey, and they're out in the middle of the wilderness And he's leading all of Israel out from slavery in Egypt towards the promised land. And leading this huge nation has become more than he can bear. He's exhausted. And so he's there talking in the tent of meeting to God. And he's just like, I I can't keep doing this. This is insane. So God goes, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to go round up 70 elders, men, who have proven themselves to be faithful kind of leaders in the community. Bring them to the tent. I'm going to put my spirit on them. And then they're going to help shoulder the load of, of this work. So uh, Numbers 11, you'll see it behind me, beginning in verse 24. Moses goes out and he tells the people the words of the Lord. He brought 70 men from the elders of the people, had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord descended in the cloud and spoke to Moses. And he took some of the spirit who, notice the spirit, not what was on Moses, but the spirit who was on Moses. The spirit is a person who was on Moses, and placed that spirit on the 70 elders. As the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they never did it again. So pause here before we go to the next part. The resting of the spirit, the spirit being on a person, is parallel with prophecy. 
right? But also notice the little thing to hook away here is they didn't ever do it again. Hmm. Okay, keep going. This is where the story gets good. Verse 26. Two men had remained in the camp. They didn't want to go to church that Sunday. One named Eldad and the other Medad. And they're at home watching the football game. And the spirit rested on them because they were among those listed, but they had not gone out to the tent. And there in the middle of town, they start prophesying in the camp. So they're not at the tent with everybody else. They start prophesying. And so this young man was there in the camp. He hears this and he runs the report to Moses. Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, assistant to Moses since his youth, hears this and he responds, Moses, my Lord, go and stop them. What does Moses do? Are you jealous on my account? If only the Lord's people were prophets, if only all the Lord's people were prophets and the Lord would place his spirit on them. Then Moses returned to the camp along with the elders of Israel. So notice, we've got this pattern, this big up, the God who speaks impossible possibilities, the God who speaks new life. And one of the ways he does that is through human partners. And Moses is the first little pattern for that. But even in Moses, he's like, this is great. I love this. And my desire is not to hoard all this for myself, but that all of God's people would have that. That everybody would be Eldad and Medab going about their business in the middle of the camp and then the word of God coming out of them. That's the desire. And so this little desire, this wishful thinking of Moses, prophetic as it may be, as we'll see, hangs over the entire narrative of the Old Testament and the story of Israel. Because you keep getting these individuals like Isaiah or Elijah or Elisha or Miriam or Huldah, these men and women who God's spirit will come on and they, they, they prophesy, they speak, but it's always just them. And it also comes and goes in certain moments and times. And so Moses' desire hangs over until we get to one prophet, Joel. Joel chapter two, looking forward to the age of the Messiah, the age where God's people are brought together in the anointed one for us, Jesus himself. And how does he describe it? Joel chapter two, you'll see behind me. After this, that is, after the Messiah comes and unites the people in the kingdom of God, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. It's just like what Moses was praying for, right? What he was wishing. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams. Your young men will see visions. I will even pour out my spirit on the male and female slaves in those days. So this is Joel it's, just, he's, he's, it's like he's looking back at what Moses wished for and God's spirit speaks and communicates through him where God goes, yes, what Moses was wishing is the very thing that I am going to do. I'm going to send my Messiah and he's going to fill my people up with my spirit and they're going to prophesy. They're going to dream. There's going to be visions and it will not just be for the set apart men and women of the Old Testament and for my cessationist friends. It will not just be for the apostles in the first age. All people, all time in this new era, the old and the young, male and female, the rich and the poor, no socioeconomic breakdowns of who gets to speak and have the word of God come from them. Them. This is God's desire. Joel 2, it hangs over until the closing of the Old Testament. And then you know him, you love him. Jesus shows up on the scene. He goes through his ministry and he himself is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's prophesying. He's doing all these sorts of works, excuse me. And then he dies and it seems like it was all a failure. Three days later though, he gets back up again. 
And then in the weeks following the resurrection, he spends time with his disciples, but then he ascends into heaven to reign as king over his world for all time until he returns to fully bring about what he inaugurated in his resurrection. And so the disciples are wondering all about how are we going to carry on this kingdom work that you're going to do. And so they're waiting in Jerusalem. They're united in prayer. And then the day of Pentecost comes. Spirit comes, the rushing water, you know, all the rushing wind, or the whole story. You know it. For so many of us, we know it. And the people of Jerusalem are scratching their heads at what in the world is going on with these, these Jesus people up in this upper room. Uh, Peter gets up in Acts chapter 2, and he gives what is the first Christian sermon. The first Christian sermon is Peter getting up, and his text that he reads, this is the word of the Lord, and this is what I'm going to take time to exposit, is Joel 2. Go read Acts chapter 2. The sermon of Pentecost is Peter going, you guys are wondering what's going on. Remember Joel's vision? Old men, young men, slaves, free, everyone prophesying as the spirit of God rests on them. That's the age that's been inaugurated in the work of Jesus through the arrival of the Holy Spirit. So this is the age that, if you are a part of the church, this is the age that we live in today. We do not drop any other piece of theology from what began at Pentecost. So why would we drop off this practice? So the question is, where's the audible voice? Like Lorenzo told the story. Did that, did that woman, young woman, did she hear God saying, you're going to find this guy that's beginning to bald and he's going to, <laughs> you weren't balding yet. You had a luxurious head of hair. Church planning did that to you. Um, but you're going to find, and so you're going to go and tell, and then word for word, is that how this works? How does this work? We, how does this work within this new covenant? Is it the experience that Moses had? It doesn't seem so. One example of this is from Jeremiah. You'll see behind me. The days are coming. He's talking about the same days that, that Joel was prophesying about. Declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. The north and the south brought together again. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'm going to put my law, my instruction, my word, my teaching into their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So one of the changing dynamics of what we talk about when we talk about prophecy is rather than the prophet Moses or the other prophets of the Old Testament audibly overhearing and then relaying the words of God, it's the, the, the pattern is that within the New Testament, this new covenant work of God, that the way that prophecy comes about is through an impression upon the Spirit's work on your heart, your feelings, your mind, your imagination. Now, for some of us, it's like, I would really prefer the audible voice. Yeah, totally. To, amen. Absolutely. And what, what it seems to be is that God is so committed, once again, to partnership. To partnership, to stepping out in faith, to growing in trust, to learning how to attune our ears to God's voice, that, once, that he's, he is content in making this movement. And so part of that means, though, that prophecy is not going to bring the same authority and the same edge as it did in the Old Testament. That doesn't mean it's not nothing. But it means it just looks different. One example of this is Acts chapter 21. It's a fascinating story that um, is just very good. So um, we're picking up in the story of Acts. Paul, who would later, later write 1 Corinthians, is making his way on his missionary journey. And um, we'll just jump in. Verse 8 of chapter 21. The next day we left and came to Caesarea, 
where we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. This man, he had four virgin unmarried daughters who prophesied. 10, after we had been there for several days, a prophet named Agabus came from Judea. He came to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own feet and his hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him over to the Gentiles. So everybody hears this and they and the local people begin pleading with Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Then Paul replied, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since he would not be persuaded, we said no more except the Lord's will be done. Now, why is this story so fascinating? There's a couple of things here. One, so is Paul directly disobeying the voice of God? Right? Agabus is a prophet. He says, by the Holy Spirit, this is the vision that I've got. And so I'm telling you, do not go. And Paul's like, nope. So is Paul disobeying the Holy Spirit? Or maybe Agabus is wrong. But why doesn't Paul call him out as a false teacher? You know, brimstone and hail down on the guy. Don't, uh, don't talk with him anymore. Or the whole church in Caesarea, it says, joins with Agabus. And says, Luke himself, the author, it says, we, we were all trying to tell Paul, don't go, listen to this. And Paul just goes, now I'm going. So what's going on here? This is a great example. There's positive examples, but I guess you could say a negative, great, helpful example of the way that prophecy functions in this new covenant movement. As its impressions, as its words, as its internal, we're bringing this over. It does not have the same, though the big word would be infallibility as the Old Testament word. So the way that's super helpful, this is from Sam Storms, that we can break down kind of the movements of prophecy within the new covenant and even what's going on here with Agabus is in terms of revelation, interpretation, and application. There is a revelation. There is a word, a picture, an image, a dream, a vision that comes from the Holy Spirit. That is the revelation. It is sourced from him and the person receives it. But then in having that, the person then has to step in to interpret. What does this mean? Who is this for? What is this about? They have to process through that. And then the application is, this is what I or that person is meant to do about what I've interpreted about what has been revealed. And so in this process, the whole point is there can be a full revelation that's totally from the Holy Spirit, but there can be breakdown interpretation and application. So this is why, we're going to get to this in a moment, over and over again, Paul will say, hey, pursue prophecy. Hey, pursue prophecy. But then he also says, weigh, evaluate, test what people give you. There may be a breakdown there. So you could process through that. And that doesn't mean it's not a revelation. So weigh through it, process through it. Maybe it was the right revelation, but the interpretation and the application were wrong. So when we look at what's going on with the Agabus and Paul story, it seems as though, is Paul going to be bound? Absolutely. Is it going to be in Jerusalem that he's going to be put to death? No, it's going to be in Rome. And it's actually not the Gentiles that are going to hand him over. It's the Jews, too, right? So there's details as far as the interpretation, but the, the image of Paul being bound that, he, that seems like the main thrust of his prophecy is absolutely right. That is going to happen. But it seems as though Agabus and the church and take that revelation as meaning don't go. The Spirit's saying don't go. And Paul's saying, no, that's what the Spirit's called me to, is to be bound and to give my life for the Messiah. So if that's what the Spirit's saying, then actually I have to go and do that. Do you see? He's just, he's working through it. 
He's working through it. Now, for some of you, this is like, well, this, 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 why would we do prophecy? This disqualifies it totally. This is what you do with this book every single week, and you don't throw it out. We have a revelation that we gather together to interpret and then ask, how do we apply it? Does that mean that interpretation and application can be done poorly? Yeah, but we don't go, this just can't be done. This is untrustworthy. No. We go, we correct wrong interpretation and wrong application by residing in the place with the revelation longer. Do you see? Is this okay? Some of you are with me and you're loving it. Some of you are like, I just want you to prophesy over me right now. No promises. And so we find this kind of, this movement here. So this is the story of how it goes. And so with this being about how the Spirit speaks to our minds and our hearts, then the revelation of prophecy can come, like in the story with Lorenzo at the beginning, a, I don't even know what we would call that for the, there's an impression, it seems that there's a unique word, there's even a scripture that was brought up. And so it just seems like the Spirit was revealing and bringing all of these things to her. And notice she didn't really come, she had some interpretation of what was going on, it's for him and it's for right now, so I'm gonna chase him down in the hallway to give it to him. And then the application was, this is just simply, you need to know this, right? And so it can come in words, it can come in scripture, it can come in dreams. I'm trying to think of some good examples from my own story. So we were in Portland at a pastor's conference a couple weeks ago. We have this moment of prayer, and there's a um, woman that's sitting catty corner, like all the way over there. And we're talking about raising our hands for different things of prayer. And as we're talking about the description of one of these things, I was talking to Lorenzo about it afterwards, he just knew, a sense, she was going to raise her hand. And so he was able to start praying for her, that even that she would raise her hand, to have the faith and the courage to do that, and that the Spirit would minister during that time before she even raised her hand. And then we get up there, and she does raise her hand, so we're going to go pray for her. I, I do not, I still do this day, do not know who she is. I, I, I could not even tell you what she looked like anymore. Um, but so she's standing, and I walk over, and as soon as we, I put my hand on her shoulder to start praying for her, I have this vision in my mind of Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, there is now no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the now in my mind, it's just like a red pencil circling now over and over and over again. And so I just was able to start praying over her and giving her this sense that like what God has for you is this, that there is not no condemnation later. It wasn't a thing in the past that now you've lost. It's now present tense. There's now no longer condemnation for you in Christ. And so just praying assurance of her forgiveness in Christ over her, Right. So it can come through that, it can come through a picture, it can come through, um, like our prayer night with, with, with charity, I've talked about this story in the past, like a set of stairs and someone's so excited to get to the top, but hearing this invitation to slow down, she didn't even know what the application of that was, or the interpretation, she just shared it, and I immediately knew it was for me and for the series, right, that's why we added all of those weeks. I had one last week where um, we were praying for people and opening ourselves up to the works of the Holy Spirit, and there was someone over here. I don't, he's not, he's not here. Um, I think he's on vacation, so that's okay. So I'm not going to use his name. Um, but I went up to him and I laid my hand and so I was just praying for him, asking for the spirit, just to bless the work that he's doing within him, opening up his heart to fill with the power of the Holy Spirit within him. Took a moment to pause and listen for a word or sense of something the spirit might have for him and, and the spirit working with our imagination. The image that came to mind was um, tiny little Captain America before he gets the super soldier serum. For those of you that know the movie, right? And then, he get, and then he gets into the thing, and then he comes out, right? And he's like, you know, big, tall Chris Evans, like, right? And the, the, so that, that was it. That's, all, that's literally the image in my mind, was tiny little scrawny Captain America, and then he comes out like, you know, beefcake, right? Strength, strong, all of it. 
And, uh, and so I just go, you know, man, this is weird, <laughs> but the thing that, I'm, that I just feel like the this, this Spirit is giving, and I know he's someone who would get the reference too, because um, if it was just like someone who has no idea, like who's Captain America? Is that the president? Like what is that? Um, is the whole, the whole thing with Captain America and the whole story of that character is he is someone who, unlike all the other superheroes who get power and then their character has to grow to match the power that they have, the whole point with Captain America is he's someone with this rich character and heroism that then is given power to be the person he had been, already been formed to be. And so I just was like, man, as you're pursuing what the Spirit wants to do in you, I just have this, this, this sense that as you're pursuing this, that the whole thing the Spirit wants to do is empower you in the man that God's already made you to be. That any gifts that he brings, any manifestations in your life are going to be an empowering of the formation, the discipleship, the commitment to Jesus that you've already got going on there. So that's, I could, I could, there's all sorts of scripture verses I could give for that, right? But there's just something about, yeah, we're, the spirit works with, with imagination. He works within our dreams. So these are kind of the kinds of things that, that we're dealing with, okay? How are we doing? Deep breath. Yeah, yeah. It makes, I mean, imagine it, this, this makes total sense when you think about the fact that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to use all of the avenues, all the nerdy stuff in your brain, sports references, in your, whatever it may be, He's going to be pulling from all of that stuff in order to relate what he wants to say with a unique portrait or image. And so that is a little bit of the story of the prophecy. So let's get into the purpose of prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14, jump back into 2 through 5. Oh my goodness. We're going to, we're going to have fun with this. All right, verse 2 and 5. So I will say that was the big, the front end. It's downhill from here. Verse 2. The what's the purpose of prophecy? For the person speaks in a tongue, isn't speaking to people but to God, since no one understands them. They're speaking mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who's prophesying speaks to people for their, what's the purpose of prophecy, Paul? Strengthening, encouragement, consolation. The person who speaks in the tongue builds up himself. That's not a bad thing. Paul's just acknowledging the difference. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. So strengthening, encouragement, consolation or comfort, building up the church. What is the point of prophecy? This is it. Building up, edification. Move it, it's the idea from the song, the let your kingdom invade our hearts. The, the ongoing invasion of the kingdom of God within a person. Why is prophecy? It's for that. It's for comfort. It's for consolation. It's for in the midst of difficulty or challenge or suffering, there being a comforting word that is brought from another to another. And then just encouragement. You got, you got this. Like, that's the, it's the Captain America thing. Just encouraging you in where you're at and in your pursuit. God sees you and he's committed to you. So this is, this is it. Now, here's the thing. Do sermons do all that stuff? Maybe not with mine, but like most sermons do that. Like, I never feel strengthened by Ryan. I never feel encouraged. Most sermons, yeah. So just, it's, does scripture do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And yet, Paul seems to say, it's this, if it's the same spirit who's speaking, who has inspired the scriptures, the same spirit at work within the church, the preaching of the word, yes and amen, we're so about all of that stuff, that the spirit also will work upon the hearts and the minds of individuals to bring out that same kind of encouragement, consolation, and comfort, but with a unique, particular emotional resonance with the one who's receiving it, or specific application. Because... Like with Lorenzo, I can read Hebrews 4.16. Like with, with the woman I prayed for, I can read Romans 8 verse 1. She could read Romans 8 verse 1. 
And yet the way this God unites his church by us strengthening and encouraging one another, and then the Spirit comes and brings particular words or phrases or visions or dreams in order to do that work. So strengthening, encouraging, comforting, or consoling. But jump over to verse uh, 24. It's the second part of the purpose of prophecy. But if all are prophesying, notice all, but if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he will be convicted by all and he will be cowled by account by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed and as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming God is really among you. How do you get a worship gathering where people have a deep sense that the spirit of God is at work? It's not through a fog machine or a laser show, right? Or even like, you know, for those of us that are more on the contemplative side, like this like really well thought out liturgical framework or whatever. What is Paul? We want an experience where people walk in and go, God's here. He goes, you need the prophetic at work within them. That is how you do it. So if the first purpose is strengthening, consoling, and encouraging, the second is conviction, being called to account. But as a result, it's not so they're shamed and they run out the door crying. It's they fall on their face, delighted to worship the God who has moved heaven and earth, people's hearts and imaginations to call them out of hidden things into the glorious light, as John would put it. So this is, this is, it's got this dual purpose, but even when it's bringing rebuke or conviction or correction, like in the case with Lorenzo's story, the whole point is that it's always baptized in that first purpose of strengthening, encouraging, and comforting. So it may be a word of rebuke. You know, I'm not going to make fun of somebody or pick someone because it might be a thing. Um, what I mean by this is to say someone in this room, hey, I've had a sense that there's, there's some particular hidden sin that you are stuck wrestling with and you can't find a way out of. And I feel like the Spirit is inviting you to a place of repentance, but also that I'll pray for you right now for him to bring about that work and also for me to walk with you through that. Um, that's just a, a uniquely, that's, that's different than we're prophesying over. Some of you have this problem and, and God hates you. The invitation of all of this is encouragement and comfort and the building up of the church. So there's, there's the purpose, there's the purpose. So let's move into a practical paradigm for how does this work in the church. Sound good? Because so far this sounds rad, but you're like, so this, we just, people just saying things randomly out loud in the middle of the gathering? How does this work? Verse uh, 29, you can jump down to verse 29. Paul says, two or three prophets should speak and the others should evaluate. But if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. The prophet's spirits, they're subject to the prophet. The Spirit's work is subject to the person that's prophesying, since God is not a God of disorder, but peace. So three things in the passage, and then we'll move into how do we actually pursue this in the church. First, two or three should speak. Second, evaluate. And third, order. First, two or three should speak. If you look just up at verse 27, if you have your Bible open, Paul, when he's comparing and contrasting with tongues, about tongues he says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, there are to be only two or at most three, each in turn, and someone has to interpret. Notice all of the like, 
right, the details. He's like, two, maybe three on a good day, and someone has to interpret, right? Like, it's just like he's got to, like, because he understands the work of what tongues does in a public gathering. Like, it's, it's a language that we don't, no one understands. And so it, Paul just goes, the, the primary, this is, you know, next week, um, the primary place for the Sunday gathering is there's a place for it with interpretation, um, but it's, it's not meant to be the whole point of the gathering. But notice what he does in verse 29. He doesn't have all these two, no more than three. Two or three should speak. Some translations say at least two or three. So as prophecy, he's got all of these things about, he's like, okay, make sure this and this, make sure there's interpretation. With prophecy, he's like, y'all, at least two or three of you guys need to be sharing words that you feel like the Spirit is giving you. Now, that doesn't mean that like, that the Spirit is something that we can manipulate or make happen, but Paul just seems to have an assumption. When the people of God gather to worship God and to be strengthened, encouraged by the Scriptures, the Spirit's going to do that through one another as well. So first is the should. And notice all the language about all there. This is another thing where prophecy is different than the rest of the spiritual manifestations where Paul assumes that prophecy is open to everyone in the room that the Spirit wants to distribute it to everyone. There may be certain gifts or manifestations for unique individuals. Prophecy is the one that's like, come on down, because it's for the building up of the church. So he says two or three should speak, and then next, the others should evaluate. Once again, this is quite different than Old Testament prophecy. Isaiah wasn't written, and people said, well, give us a moment to kind of look this over and let you know what we think about it, right? These Old Testament writings of Scripture, these prophets. No, but here... As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 9, because we prophesy in part while we await the fulfillment of Jesus' return, because we prophesy imperfectly, because of the revelation, interpretation, application framework, whenever you hear a prophecy, don't reject it, but evaluate it. 1 Thessalonians says, weigh it. Process through it. Look it over. Is this consistent with the scriptures? Is this encouraging, building up, strengthening, consoling? Is this, what, what is this? Weigh it process it, evaluate it. I'll talk more about this in a moment. And then finally, Paul goes in 30 and all the way to 32, talking about, okay, if, if someone's prophesying, then the other person that's sitting down should be allowed light. He just has this, he's giving this framework for what he kind of builds up to in verse 33, that God's not a God of disorder, but peace. The way he puts it in verse 39, after saying, once again, be eager to prophesy and not forbid speaking in tongues, he says, everything is to be done decently and in order. So for Paul, his vision, like he also says, of what prophecy looks like in the church, also while he says that the, the spirit of the prophet is, you know, it's, it's submitted to the spirit, I mean, or the, to the prophet, means Paul has no vision for when the spirit of God brings prophecy that it's like your eyes roll back in your head and you stand up in the middle of the gathering interrupting either the sermon or some prayer or the announcements of like, thus saith the Lord, and you, like, you start shouting out, like even if it's really encouraging great stuff, Paul says the gathering is a place of order and decency, of peace. And so that doesn't mean that the prophet is, prophecy isn't at work or you might receive something during the sermon or something during the announcement. But Paul says, hey, there's an order, there's a time and a place to work through it. And so really simply, it's like when, when and how can I prophesy is just think about just set aside the spirit-given nature of it. If you just had an encouraging word, how, how would you go about using that within the particular space or place? Like if right now you were like, Ryan, I know this is a really hard sermon, but you're doing a really good job. This would not be the time and place for that in front of everyone, right? Because would be like, oh, that, thank you. That's very disruptive, but thank you. Like, you know, like, why? And so Paul's whole point is order. And so it's, man, if I had an encouraging word for someone, 
on, during the response time, I might totally walk over to them and like, hey man, I just wanted to encourage you after the week that you're going through, right? You just encourage them in that way, right? Or if it was something that you wanted to encourage the whole church in, you'd come talk to Isaac, Lorenzo, or myself, one of the pastors, and hey man, I just, I noticed that the church has been doing this, and this has been going on, this is great, right? You just, you'd go about it that way. And so because the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets, Paul's understanding would be that that's just how you would bring those, those prophetic words. So in the response time in a moment, when we pray over people and then we listen and we prophesy, to- absolutely a place for that, right? Does that make sense of just how, the, how this, this works? So many of our fears are like that we're gonna like in pursuing the stuff of the spirit is you're gonna walk in like chairs are getting thrown. People are just like, God says you're moving to like Canada. And you're like, no, like, right? <laughs> that was a, you know, for the Canadians. Um, like that that's gonna be the kind of gathering that we walk into. And it's just, I think all about the, the decently in order stuff is that for a church-like collective, that what the Spirit's going to do is just take the order and the structures that we already have as a church and just like supercharge them by bringing prophetic words in different ways throughout all of them. So now the pursuit of the prophetic. How do we pursue this in our church? Once again, as Paul opens in 14 verse one saying, pursue love and desire, or is it gonna be translated earnestly or zealously desire, prophecy. At the end, in verse 39, he says, so then my brothers and sisters be eager or to prophesy. Be eager, zealous to prophesy, and don't forbid speaking in tongues. Be eager, zealously pursue prophecy. So how do we do that? Two things, and then we'll move into a time of response. The first is for those of us that hearing that prophecy is open and available, a manifestation of the Spirit at work within the church, how do we open ourselves up to that? So first, would be developing a posture of listening prayer throughout, throughout your week. Uh, and this is something that we're huge at at Collective. Our staff prayer times, our uh, early gathering before we set up prayer times, our prayer nights, our set-aside space where we're like, man, God, we just want to listen for you and for what you're doing. And so part of that is just developing a posture of listening prayer during your week where you just pray, bring what you have to God, ask for things, and then just say, God, do you, do you have anything that you, for me, anything for anyone in my life? You may have a journal or just, you know, type it out on your phone and just, you know, you, you, you begin to listen. So you listen and ask. And then if something comes to mind that you sense, kind of write it on and then just chew on it. Pray, God, is, there, is, there a, is this re- revelation that I feel like you're giving me, is there a particular interpretation or application of this that I need? When do I share? Is this some, who is this? Is this for me? When is this for me? I have one prophetic vision right now that I know is for me and I don't know when for though. And so I'm just kind of holding it. I'm not going to share it with you because I'm actually praying that someone will have like a, a word where they will know what that, there's stuff like this that happens all the time. And so I'm totally just leaning into it. But this is the kind of, like we just, we pray, God, what are you speaking? What are you saying? I know that you are the God who speaks. And so I want to tune my ear to hear from you. So I begin to sense something. I say, God, if this is the revelation, who is it for and when is it for? And what are you calling them or me to do as a result of this? Right, and you listen. And then you risk and you relay that to either yourself or to the person. You do this super humbly. You, because of the, I hope what I've shown here, the movement of how prophecy works in the new covenant is I don't come saying, thus saith the Lord. Right, you know, it's, I have a sense I had a dream. 
I just get, you know, I was praying for you this week, and as I was listening, I feel like God put this word on my heart or this scripture that it wasn't part of my reading plan, but it just came to mind for you, right? So you do that really humbly, but at the same time, you also risk. You, there's a great saying that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. You go, yeah, I, hey, I might be wrong here. I, I may, this may have been the burrito, like, <laughs> but this is, the, this is just what I've been sensing. So does this resonate with you at all? And then, you know, sharing that revelation and then, Maybe you don't have the interpretation or application, so you just allow them to do that, either with you or by themselves, right? It's very just conversational, totally normal. And then you also make sure that you never bring about a prophetic word from a place of like anger or condescension or looking down on someone. It's always done. Once again, what's the purpose for? Strengthening, encouraging, and comforting. Building, building that person up. So you may have a word of rebuke or challenge or calling them out of sin, but they should walk away saying, ouch, that's exactly what I needed to hear, you know? And I'm so deeply reminded of the love that God has for me. So now what about receiving prophetic words? Because now there's a bunch of people in the room that are gonna be pursuing it. What if they bring something to you, right? You just take it, okay, yeah, like I'm moving to Canada, I guess. Like that's the vision that they had, right? So a couple of details here. The first would be just to go, does this line up with scripture? Is this in any way breaking the bounds of what scripture clearly teaches? I've made the joke before that like, you're not gonna get a prophetic word that's from the spirit that says you should like leave your wife because like, you know, it's been a couple years now and things are kind of getting stale. That's not gonna happen, right? You're not gonna get a prophetic word that's like, you should kill your neighbor. These, these are explicit examples, but like, but so often a prophetic word is not gonna come to defend or enable you to walk into sin or to let you lay down the requirements of what it means to follow Jesus. And so the first is, okay, does this line up with scripture? The next is, is this strengthening, encouraging, or comforting, and or comforting? And if so, how so? And then is the character of the person who's relaying it to me trustworthy in their following of Jesus? Doesn't mean they're perfect. Doesn't mean they're perfect. Doesn't mean they're, they're, they have to be a pastor or something like that. But just when I look at the, do I, do I, I don't doubt the genuineness of their relationship to Jesus. And so, yeah, I, then, then I can receive it. And then you... You weigh it. You evaluate it. First uh, Thessalonians 5.19 uh, puts it this way. Test them all. So don't quench the spirit. Don't treat prophecies with content, but test them. Hold on to what you, what you receive that's good and reject every kind of evil or, or just bad. So what's, what's Paul saying? Chew the meat and spit out the bones. When you receive a prophetic word, chew on it. If it's a lot of meat, you know, it's a nice big cut of steak or whatever, then yeah, eat it all. But if there's, okay, you know, pick those things out. There was once somebody had a prophetic word for me. They came up and shared something a couple weeks ago that the revelation was spot on. It was exactly what I needed in some of the questions and things I've been working through. But their interpretation and application just wasn't, wasn't what the questions and the things that I was carrying to God. I'm still holding those things and chewing on them. But the immediate thing was, I think what you were sensing was that the Spirit was leading our church in the next season in this particular way through what you just shared, Right? But that also doesn't mean by chewing the meat and spitting out the bones, chewing um, the meat and taking out the pieces of meat that you don't like, right? Because sometimes a prophetic word comes and you're like, I'm gonna take the part that God loves me and I'm gonna drop the part about the fact that repentance and turning back to him is what I need to do, right? So the whole point is we work through that. So there we go, prophecy. So the whole point with all of this and the whole point with this series 
is by doing some instruction and teaching, like Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware about the way the Spirit works in the church, is laying out a framework for how this works within the church, not so that like this Sunday everybody's prophesying, but to start a trajectory for our church moving into the kind of church that would lean into the kind of portrait and picture that Paul, that Jesus, that Joel, that Moses envisions for the people of God. And so let's pray and let's just move into a time of response to see what the Spirit wants to do with us.